DJ from over at Rare Bird sends me a message. He was like, listen, guys, I'm going to tune in. But just know that tonight's the two-hour opening of Yellowstone. So let's let's keep this thing moving. <laughs> I was going to say no pressure, but we have to be more exciting than Yellowstone. That's uh, that's the goal for tonight, more entertaining. Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad we're we're competing in that crowd, right? I mean, we're, yeah, we got the same amount of years, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. It's Bourbon Community Roundtable number 74. And here's the topics we have chosen for today's show. American single malts. The media is abuzz talking about them. And even traditional heritage distilleries are starting to release some in very small numbers. So is this a trend that we need to pay attention to? It's also safe to say that over half the bottles on the shelf are sourced products. So has sourcing been finally embraced or do the majority of people just don't care or they don't know because it's all marketing? And every year coming around Thanksgiving, we will see wild turkey pictures flood social media. So what should you bring to your Thanksgiving day get together? Well, enjoy today's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick. And this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Kyle Sanchez, who writes me on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. He's got a big, long uh, question here that essentially comes down to uh, he's interested in buying a bunch of uh, beam decanters that are 100 proof. And, you know, he is uh, wanting to, to make an offer on them. And I'm going to just kind of make this real quick here, Kyle. And by the way, He's an army veteran, so a big shout out to him for uh, for his service there. I will say this is going to be so hypocritical of me because I have always said that the greatest bourbon I ever tasted came from a decanter, one of the old crow chess pieces. And I have had some of the beam decanters, and they're fine. But I will tell you, when you buy these old decanters, you have no way of knowing if the whiskey is any good. A lot of the times those those corks didn't hold up and they evaporated. And there's also sometimes they extract too much from the porcelain and it takes on this like really gritty flavor. And that's why I think the chess pieces are one of the better ones. They actually had like a really good capsule connected to those. But those old beam decanters, man, those are hit and miss. I would say I would not even make an offer on them. I wouldn't buy them. I do not buy the uh, the, the beam decanters. If it's a chess piece, I know the exact weight of a full chess piece, and I know the exact weight of an empty one. So I always weigh them before I make an offer. But uh, I, I'm actually probably going to do you uh, a solid here, Kyle, and uh, tell you not to make an offer on those bottles. If you see a bottle that is a vintage, you know, pre-1980, and you can see the whiskey, and it hasn't gone below the label, you know, then I think that depending on the product, um, you know, the vintage bottles you can find on a lot of the auction sites. And so you can base an offer off of uh, off of an auction site. So go to whiskeyauctioneer.com or uh, Christie's, you know, one of those um, online auction sites that sell whiskey. 
and you can find uh, some past comps. But other than that, stay away from those decanters unless you're looking to be like a collector of them. And that's fine if you are, but if you're looking to extract a whiskey out of them, uh, just know that it is an absolute crapshoot with the odds not in your favor of them being any good. But that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. If you want to be like Kyle, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click that contact button. Let me know your question. And if I like the uh, question, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Gift 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome, everybody. We are back with Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. And this is Bourbon Community Roundtable number 74. So that means we're one away from hitting three quarters of a century. I'm kind of really surprised about that. And Ryan, I think you've made almost all of them. Yeah. And uh, we're number 73 with Blake having microphone issues. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm keeping yeah. that streak going. So uh, yeah. you can't throw me on mute and then uh, just <laughs> <laughs> throw me the bus there for you. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I want to get this straight. I even shipped them. This is the second brand new microphone that I've shipped them. So the common denominator is him. That's what it comes down to now. I'd like to clarify they're actually laptop issues is what we found out tonight. It's not even microphone issues. It's laptop. That's right. So we'll start getting a, a GoFundMe so we can just send him a Chromebook or something. So he has something to connect to. We'll get some decent audio at one of these days. But all right. Well, since we just started the first round of introductions, go ahead, Blake. Go ahead and get it kicked off. Yeah, I'm uh, Blake from Bourboner and Sealbox. Good to be on number 74. So that's 74 in a row for those counting at home. Um, but yeah, thanks for, for having me, guys. Yeah, I like Matt Cusick. He says, uh, this guy runs a website from a Dell 1230. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't know. It's an old school piece of equipment there. <laughs> good thing good thing Shopify is there for you. 
Makes, makes old, the... old Shopify comes in handy, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian. Hey, guys. Uh, happy to be here on a Sunday night. I guess this is our Thanksgiving episode. Um, we got that topic there later on, so excited for this. and getting excited for the holidays, too, so happy to be on here. I don't know if I'm getting excited. What about you, Nick? Are you getting excited? Yeah, you know, a uh, little bit. We just went through the figuring out exactly what we're going to do for Thanksgiving and Christmas. That's always, uh, you know, so many competing things. But yeah, I'm excited. Good time. See a lot of friends. See a lot of family. You know, excited for the topic tonight. So, hey, I'm, I'm Nick from Breaking Bourbon. So glad to be on. I'm on like every other one. Or now that we got Eric uh, maybe in rotation, uh, like like Jordan and I are maybe uh, every three. So this is a treat to uh, always chat with you guys and joining on the chat and the YouTube and so forth. So glad to be here. I think an interesting topic would be hearing uh, Nick's uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, holiday battle showdown for plans. You know, and... <laughs> not, not, not as interesting as it sounds. <laughs> Oh no, I get it because it's it's like that's always an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah. Like who who do you have to piss off this year because you're not going <laughs> to yeah, show right. up or you're just not going to go there? Oh it's yeah, constant. Always. Well, I, I will say one thing we do that's a lot of fun. We started doing that was kind of like a tradition where we get a big football game going in the morning. We got a big field across the street from my house. So now that the kids are getting older, it used to be like an adults versus kids kind of thing. But now we, we you know we all kind of show up and there's like 30 kids so they just start on their own the adults are all like yeah we we don't got to worry about twisting an ankle or like running around in the snow it's snowing here by the way right now in syracuse so we just kind of hang out by the side that's when i'll start bringing out bourbons and hot chocolate and stuff like that so that kind of kicks off like early in the morning so we got a lot of neighbors and friends that come over and everything so it's a lot of fun nice. oh how weird the guy from breaking bourbon brings out a bunch of bourbon for thanksgiving who, who would guess right <laughs> sounds like uh wedding crashers at your family you know just that flag football yep or not flag tech well, i guess so yeah yeah <laughs> Crab cakes and football. That's right. Well, speaking of crab cakes, actually, we're not going to talk about crab cakes at all. Let's talk about American single malts because that's <laughs> kind of, and also I want to do a big shout out. I think it was Nick. Nick, I think, made all of our topics for tonight. So uh, cheers to Nick and hats off to him for for coming up with this because I was thinking, I I need to brainstorm some ideas and just list out a bunch. And I said, well, that makes my, my day a lot easier. I don't have to go and think of something fun to be able to do. So good job, everybody. All right, Nick yeah, no did problem, some science man. on this too, so I'm I'm really interested in the science side of this. I, I don't want to set anything up. I mean, literally, my kids were on the TV playing video games. I was on the couch on my phone. That came through. I was like, oh, I got a couple ideas. I fired them back. So there was, it wasn't like a whole bunch of research or anything like that. Just stuff that was kind of on my mind here, and some stuff we've been talking about over here, at breaking bourbon. So glad it worked out. Would you like to lead? Not necessarily. You guys <laughs> you, jump it, jump in, man. I, you know, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, it's your topics. If you want to go ahead and talk about it, just I did not prepare any more than what you saw in the chat. So, <laughs> all right, I'll go ahead and I'll I'll do my best and wing it here. So, our first is talking about American single malts, and that's because they've been making a lot of noise recently. They have their own designation now and some legal wording behind them. And there's a lot of great distilleries out there. I know we get some stuff sent our way to be able to do reviews and stuff. However, we have to look at the, you know, where is this heading? Is this a trend that we see bourbon geeks that are going to start latching onto it? Or is this something that is more along the lines of how do we compete or how does America compete with the scotch category? And since Nick, you had the honor of, of talking about this, I kind of want to let you to go first. All right. So, yeah. So, um, 
You know, I think single malt's kind of been on my mind a little bit more. Uh, you know, we we get a lot of of samples and bottles to review and noticed a trend, I think this year has been probably the year that we've just seen a lot coming in that are single malts and we've gotten and explored, we've done some single barrel selections and so forth, um, but really just start to explore the category a little bit more. And it's unlike bourbon where you kind of know what you're going to get ahead of time. You have some idea what the flavor might be, you know, what, what you're getting into based on age and things. Single malt does not seem to be that way. It, it's, you know, unless they say it's peated, you kind of have some expectation there. Otherwise it seems like quite a, quite a range. And so what was interesting is now that they've back in, I think it was July, they proposed regulation. So where it's been operating under just whoever decides they want to call it a single malt can, they've come out and said, Hey, the DTB has proposed what that regulation would be. It's going to be an actual, you know, an actual classification, actual category in the code. And so we we're looking at, you know, this is now something that obviously people are behind, you know, uh, people in around the country that distill are behind this. I think it's, I want to say it was, um, Westland, a guy behind Westland out in there out in like Seattle, I think is one of the guys that's spearheading some of this. So you're seeing some of these big distilleries that have focused on single malts. You don't really want to solidify the category. One of the things that I think is interesting, and that'll kind of turn it over. I don't want to talk too much about it, but and not and take the floor from you guys, but is that where bourbon you have this kind of you know, Kentucky bourbon originates there. Yes, it's made other places, that kind of thing, but you've got a central kind of like culture that's really, you know, embraced Kentucky. And if you visit Kentucky, it's just bourbon, bourbon, bourbon everywhere. And that's that kind of like it it cycles like that. You really get that. And that spills over to other areas and things like that. With American single malts, you've got like a, oh, well, well where does it center? Not really a center. Uh, why would I drink this and, and not scotch? Do I even want to drink this? So it's a weird kind of almost uphill battle in a way where the category is not really defined but it's very open and so you've got like distilleries regionally kind of spearheading and saying hey we want to really be the owner of this you know this type of category as what we do at our distillery and we want to take that and and that's going to be our bread and butter or it's going to be something extra we do so i find that really interesting and i'm curious to see where it's going to go uh in the next five to ten years as this kind of progresses out because it doesn't have that kind of like momentum that bourbon had behind it and central, you know, Kentucky feel that the bourbon has. So that's my initial take. No, that's, that's a good take. Uh, go ahead, Blake. I know you wanted to chime in there. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I feel like we do talk about this some and it, it does get brought up a lot in the whiskey world, but I mean, I think it's just going to be a really tough battle. You know, I, I hear a lot more bourbon guys talking about tequila nowadays than I do talking about American single malt. And I love the category. I think it's, fantastic one you know we've got the the commission who's like pushing it forward and there's eight or nine distilleries that are a part of that um but at the end of the day i think it's just going to take a whole lot longer and i think it's just going to be a much slower build like with bourbon we saw you know it just it just took off and while it wasn't it was a slow build in general it just seems like over the last four to five years it's just gone crazy and it's everywhere and I don't know if I see that on American single malt because it's it's like if you're an American whiskey drinker, you're probably going to go to bourbon. And if you're a single malt drinker, it's probably scotch. I mean, that's still kind of good news because I think that means there's still a ton of incredible product that's out there and available and affordable and all these other things. But I just think it's just going to be a much slower build than, than even we think about it. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to 
I, I want to agree with you there a little bit. I feel that the American single malt category is still very, it's very infant. We know that, but I think it's a very small subset of what it is because here's the thing is that you're going to go and you're going to try to play against scotch. You're not truly playing against bourbon. I mean, anybody that's, that's here and you got all the bourbon players playing against each other, but you're trying to go against scotch, which that already has a massive foothold on the entire industry. And just like anybody that's new that tries to take, take on one of the big boys in bourbon. Well, you've got to go against efficiencies and you've got to go in stock and time and all these other kind of things that, that they have an advantage of. And so they can essentially, I mean, this is the whole reason why craft distilling is just now going to start catching up because if you're going to try to put this out, I mean, gosh, what most scotches are like in the low end eight to 15 years at the high end, you're looking 30 plus. So that's a, that's a timing that, that you don't necessarily have the, the luxury to be able to afford to be able to do that. So I feel if anybody tries to get into this American single malt category, I feel that you're just going to get overlooked and just it's going to be overburdened because the shelf is already full of single malts. Now you want to just be American, fine. I really hope it stands out. But I'll be honest, I've had a few American single malts and none of them have really hit the mark for me. Maybe it's because we're bourbon pursuit and we're sweet corn guys. But for me personally, I just haven't found one that I'd sit there and go, oh, yeah, I I would drink this maybe once a month. I don't even think I'd say that. Yeah, I definitely think where American single malt can really shine is, is like in different regions. It, it's going to be hard for it to be America's drink because bourbon is already that rise, probably number two, then Miller Lite's number three. But um, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I think it's going to be really hard for it to ever be on the same scale as the other two whiskey categories, hell rise, not even nowhere near what bourbon is. I think it's only 30% of what bourbon does per year. And I, I mean, I, I've had some single malts. I mean, they're, they're fine. Like, you know, I am full disclosure, Bartstown, central Kentucky, you know, corn raised on sweet corn my whole life. So, I mean, they are fun and interesting. Uh, I just think it's going to be so regional. I think, you know, it seems like in the Northeast and the Northwest, uh, seems to be popular there. Um, Texas has kind of had their with balconies and whatnot, some malted stuff that's worked well there. I think Kentucky and Tennessee and Indiana, kind of these regions, Virginia, whatever, they have such a perfect climate for bourbon and rye production, whereas other climates in the country can't really replicate that. So they can kind of pivot and do American single malts and kind of make their own spin on it whereas they try to make their own bourbons they're not going to be able to compete with the the players in this region so i think single malt gives them a creative outlet to kind of compete to have something to offer in their region versus trying to compete with american the the standard american whiskey offerings ryan since you're a agricultural person and maybe it's me not knowing this as well we know that corn grows pretty damn well in in this part of the area and and yep. well as a lot of parts against uh in the u.s what about barley? I mean, is that a typical a, a crop that doesn't grow well in certain areas? Definitely doesn't grow well here. Uh, and ironically, rye doesn't grow well here either. Um, but um, corn grows great here. Winter wheat grows really well here. Barley and rye are typically much damper, colder climates. So you think of obviously Ireland and Scotland. So the Northwest is a perfect climate for it. The northern countries like Montana, North Dakota are perfect for it, Minnesota, and then over in, you know, upstate New York and those regions. So that's 
that's why I think American single malt will be good in those areas, but maybe not so much elsewhere. Just because it seems like distilling is kind of a regional thing based on what grains you grow well there and and what thrives in that that climate. And that's kind of what, you know, bourbon is really shined here because the climate's so perfect for it. And and on to piggyback on that, I'm wondering too about the how long it ages. I mean, is is it bad for single malt to age here with the temperature variations that we have? And is it better in the cooler climates like Scotland, where you, you can age it for 32 years? You can't age anything for 32 years here and come out with something decent. So is is that going to be an impediment to the, the category? Whatever, I mean, there's a hundred impediments to it that I see, but not everybody likes bourbon, so you know, more power to them. I mean, I, I, I hope it succeeds, but uh, I had seen an early, earlier comment from Matt, you know, first it was going to be rum and then it was going to be rye and then it was going to be tequila. And then it was, gonna, you know, list the next big bourbon thing. And they, they've all kind of faltered. They've had their degrees of success, but do y'all remember when the Parkers came out and everyone's like, what the hell is this? I mean, yep. that's, that's our, that's our initial reaction to single mole. So it's kind of starting in a hole when you're a bourbon fan. Anyhow, they're already, they're already behind the finish or behind the yeah, starting. Exactly. Date. Yeah. Exactly. Already, yeah. I know. That, that's where I think to, to Ryan or to Ryan's point a little bit about it being regional. I think that's, that's kind of the winning formula. You know, it seems like a lot of Northwest States are, it's picking up and they're bringing people in. It, they're not, going after the diehard bourbon drinkers they're going after kind of the new whiskey drinkers and that's where i think it could get really interesting if it's more of a regional thing rather than just hey we like the parkers it just didn't make sense i think to a lot of people so i don't know it'll be interesting to watch over the next few years that's for sure but i mean we even saw that this is i think this is it's going to start picking up trend what jack daniels just announced their single malt last week even though that was, I mean, what it was also re-aged in sherry or something like that too. So perhaps everybody's going to start playing in this as just a uh, another one-off, something else to have in the repertoire. I mean, as you know, as you guys had hinted at already, it's like, well, just make another product for somebody else. It's you already have the equipment there, so you might as well just go ahead and make it. It's not like it's it's a whole big investment into something else. It's just the same exact grains, just a hundred percent of them, and the same exact process. And you're right. Maybe it's a different type of barrel. Maybe that barrel has to be stored in a, a different part of the warehouse. So that's got to be all the the lower levels or something like that. But it's definitely interesting to see exactly how that's going to start coming out. And maybe it's because of the weather that, you know, the American single male category, you could actually have better products at a younger age, or maybe just be able to release products at a younger age because you don't want it to go over four to seven or eight years. And instead, you're not waiting the typical 15 to 20 or anything like that kind of point of clarification too. the uh, i think uh rare bird brought this up in the chat too but so single malt is the, the you know american single malt as proposed is 100 percent malted barley but there are straight malts there is straight malt already which is you know i think it's 51 percent barley and then you have the other grains and and requirements so forth so kind of a, a separate line on that but my thinking would be that many people probably will not note that difference per se i think when you just see malt and you see malt as the present name on the bottle i think most are going to look at the two kind of the same unless you really start digging into details 
And what is interesting is it does seem like those that are making them are people, distilleries that are interested in the details. So they seem to really like to share the story of what they're doing. And typically what they're doing is unique and different and interesting. So they seem to be very involved in that where the kind of straight malt category, I think what Woodford has is straight malt. Um, you know, the straight malts have been out that they're around. I don't know how well they do. Um, we, I ran a quick poll on Twitter like four hours ago. So far, a quarter of people seem to be actually interested in single malt and the rest are either undecided or don't want it. That That's what your science said I was waiting for. I was waiting for those results. Well-timed. And, and I mean, how far off brand is a single malt for Jack Daniels? I mean, doesn't make sense to me. I'd rather see yeah. it from some craft brand in the Northwest or Northeast than from Jack Daniels. I don't want a malt from them. The interesting thing is that even though Jack Daniels just released theirs, this was four years in the making, even prior to this conversation. So they also must be seeing something that we're not seeing, or perhaps, as I'd mentioned before, they have the equipment, might as well just play with it and put something in the warehouses because four years ago, that wasn't the uh, the current environment. So it's just something they can play with and kind of see where it's going to go. I agree to that. Uh, and I was going to say, I think it makes sense for Jack Daniels to do it because they have such an international presence and what's the number one spirit drink internationally it's scotch and so if you can get a gateway you know from scotch drinkers to be like oh try our single malt you know jack daniels and then they're like oh i like that you know then i start drinking the the sweet corn and i'm like oh i like that even better because this malt stuff sucks and i've been <laughs> i've been missing this sweet corn my whole life no i'm kidding but uh i think yeah. it makes sense for him in that regard are you still going to go on your I hate scotch tour? Yeah. Uh, I hate is that what scotch. it's going to be? <laughs> I, 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 like I said, four year bourbon is more palatable than any scotch whiskey out there in the market. Prove me wrong. <laughs> there you go. Heard um, it here first. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's going to be our new t shirts. Just like quit drinking scotch. That's right. Uh, I do want to say quick shout out to David Sweet, though, as we were sitting there talking about types of barrels, he did mention that. A lot of times you have all those extra aging and everything that you get out of scotch barrels because they are second-use bourbon barrels. And we all know that a second-use bourbon barrel doesn't have the same oak effect or intensity as it does the second time around. So that is why you you get that. Uh, cool. I mean, there's a lot of good things to be able to talk about what's happening with the, you know, with the single malt category. Anybody else have anything else to chime in right there with it? It would be interesting to find out from like Andrew from ISC if there is a you know, a difference in like the type of grain, do they extract different, so a single malt versus a corn or a rye or whatnot, if they're more, I guess, subject to tannins or pulling different extracts out of, that would be an interesting conversation to have with him. Just food for thought. Food for thought. Put yeah, it down I on. mean, I'd like to know more about the, the yeast. I mean, if you're a bourbon producer, can you use the same yeast that you do with bourbon or does it just jack up a single malt i mean there's a there's a lot to figure out here that yeah i don't know anything but, we're just uh, ignorant we're, we're ignorant <laughs> on that but that's that's again that's why i think i would prefer the the northeast and the northwest guys who are starting with this have a passion for it instead of a jack daniels just doing it because they can as rare bird said yep cheers to that well, I'm sure somebody will send us an email at some point and go like, I'd love to come on the show and talk to you all about American single malts and all the, the dirty details behind it. Then we'll say long, coming soon. Long as it's not scotch. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's kind of move on here a little bit. So 
we all we've talked about this for a very long time about the the change in the market and source product and everything like that. Even I have gone through my very own bourbon journey when I remember when I started getting into bourbon and I started learning about what sourcing is. As I, you know, I put my hand on the table and loud noises and I said, I will never buy a source product. I want to buy it directly from the distillery. And here we are uh, a few years later. Now we're actually sourcing barrels and, and releasing our own product. So uh, eat my own words, if I will here. But it's safe to say that if you look at a wall of bourbon at a retail store, odds are about half of what you see is probably all going to be sourced. So when we start thinking about this, do we feel that sourcing has been finally embraced? People are latching on to it and saying, okay, this is great. We're, we can finally get behind this. Or is it still a, a marketing story? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. When we start thinking about this, do we feel that sourcing has been finally embraced? People are latching on to it and saying, okay, this is great. We're, we can finally get behind this. Or is it still a, a marketing story? Do people just don't know and don't care? I think it's a little bit both. So I think for the most part, it's marketed well and people don't care. <laughs> um, but uh, I do think there is a a small segment of whiskey, you know, geeks and aficionados. Like you look at like what the Kirkland has done with their Costco bourbon, you know, with the Barton. Everybody knows it's sourced from Barton. Hell, it's even on the label now. But and no one gives a shit. And it's good and it's priced right and like hell we got there's people like lining up now for these different costco bottled and bonds and uh different you know kirkland expressions of barton and what where, where 1792 can never do that and it's it, it's fascinating to me that people are accepting of that and two the you know the squib juice is like sought sought after more than i mean than i would ever imagine i mean that's that's still one i'm trying to wrap my head around because it's literally 
two or three match builds that are identical. And I know everyone can say this person, that person, this does does this or that or blends or picks this, but it's like, I mean, if you can't get smoke wagon, go get Penelope. You can't get Penelope, go get Nulu. If you can't get Nulu, go to the 70 other ones out there, you know, and it's, uh, but people love the squib juice. And that's, that's one thing that when we first got into it, we always snubbed our nose to it and it's fantastic whiskey and people appreciate it now. So it's, it's definitely, I think changed. Uh, I think it's half and half. People don't care. And I think people do care. So that's a dumbass answer, but that's what I think. You just, you just sound like you rated a whiskey a seven out of 10. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, do you like it or you not? Well, that's seven out of ten. <laughs> Three out of five barrels, right, Nick? <laughs> Would be drinking cocktails. That's, all right, I'll I'll jump in. Um, I, I think it has changed. I think really within the last four to five years, and that seems to be the age range I'm going at tonight. But um, you know, there was that time when everyone was like, "Hold on a second, people aren't producing it; they're sourcing it from somewhere else." But we're kind of getting into that independent bottler mindset now i think with a lot of people and they just they trust the brand they trust the person blending it the, per, the team behind it and all that so i think it's cool to see uh I, I still think with bourbon being as big as it is there's a lot of people still that they just don't understand they don't care i mean i talked to somebody seems like about once a week they're like well you know where do they make it at like well they just buy the barrels it's like how does that work so they're allowed to do that so i still think there's you know just a lot of people who are new to bourbon and whiskey and don't quite understand all the nuances of it. But then on the whiskey nerd and whiskey geek side, I think we just kind of embrace it. We all like those bottles, like what they're doing. So it's good to see. I don't know why it got a terrible rap to begin with when it's been done in scotch and everywhere else with independent bottling for so long. But it's one thing I'm glad that everybody's kind of embracing yeah, I think it got the bad name because they all lied about it at first. Not all, obviously, but you yeah, know, you yeah, go back the to the transparency thing is kind yeah. of important there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you go to yeah, I mean, the Templeton story. I mean, you, you someone hears about what Templeton did and they're just, you know, can't believe it now, but that's kind of what happened only whatever that was, 6 8 years ago. So, now that there's more transparency and now that people know essentially where a lot of these different brands get it from, whether it's Squib or wherever else. And now that you've got brands trying to differentiate themselves because, you know, you've got Forgate doing some spiral groove thing and, you know, all those sorts of things with, with Kelvin, or you've got, you know, the, the pursuit series with blending different, bourbons from different places you know they're they're doing good things with them now or nulu with all the finishing that they're doing so i think that's kind of what's helping you know turn the corner on the acceptance of it and the question i'll kind of throw out uh, nick go ahead i saw you want to chime in there oh i was gonna say i you know just to add to that too um and i think uh alan Pulaski in the chat kind of point out something here said I'm, I'm feeling sourced pricing fatigue i'd rather take a chance on a craft distiller than buy another four to five year mgp for 60 dollars. so i think i think sometimes source gets kind of like maybe thrown in there as oh well it's sourced that's automatically worse because it's sourced but i think the end up root kind of thing that we're really after here is what am, what am i getting in value for what you're what you're giving me and if you're if you're just somebody that's shopping at costco and you're like well i'm getting value because it's a low cost and i i don't really care exactly who made it i buy it it's a good price and i like the way it tastes that's the end of it 
that's one consumer. But as you get into other consumers that are looking for new products, looking for, you know, want some value for what they're spending, and you're seeing just a, an onslaught of new products, and then you kind of dig out and say, well, there may be many of them coming from the same place, and maybe many of them without much added in between what that is other than other than cost. So I think it's that differential of just simply, you know, what are you getting in terms of value? You know, when you look at some of these like Penelope, like Smoke Wagon, you know, these, for example, they you, you know where it's coming from. When you look at Barrel, you don't know exactly where it's coming from, but you know what goes into blending it, for example. You're seeing that there's a lot of value put into that that product at the end of the day in the market and it makes sense and people get excited about that i think it's when people don't see the value don't feel it and if maybe a product that's like priced for the enthusiast and aimed towards the enthusiast but doesn't isn't able to back up what the enthusiast wants i think that's where you get into that kind of sticky point and you start to say oh well it's because it's sourced and i'm not sure that's really the problem i think it's more that it's you're not really giving me what i want out of this product and that kind of is the first thing somebody might peg as the issue with it are you saying, Nick, that what are you not getting out of it? Is it not because it's the same thing over and over? It's another four to five year stuff. Do you need to finish it? Do you need to do something with it to make it justify the price point that you're talking about? I'm still kind of trying to gather my thoughts here with what yeah, you're Yeah, like adding that value, for example. Like, for example, Penelope, four grains. So you're, you're getting something where they're actually going through selecting barrels, trying to you know find it and make a, a good blend in that case. You know, barrel craft spirits for example the the effort that goes into you know blending everything they do of course is source but the effort that goes into that and goes into blending is is tremendous so when you see that value that makes sense when you think of some of the say newer off brands that and i'm even trying to to name name some but they I, none come to mind right now you know you might just see yes it's it's just for your mgp and you go to the website you can't find anything you can't figure out anything about this product for example. So you're not getting wh what you want from it. So really what you see is what's on the label. All right, I got four-year MGP. I don't really know much more beyond that, though. The brand's not really digging into what they've done to add any value other than buy it, bottle it, and sell it to me. Is that... Uh, there's always a story that has to sell it. That's what it comes down to. But for us whiskey geeks, we're always trying to figure out even more well, what's behind the label and how you got to that point and how sometimes you justify a price point, too. And I think that to Alan's degree on there as well is that, you know, perhaps there's, there is a, a feeling of fatigue because there is a lot of the same four to five, six year old MGP that's on the market. But I honestly don't think that you're going to see that fatigue really set in beyond this 90, you know, the, the one percenters of bourbon. If you're listening to this, I don't really think that you're going to see that fatigue set in because there are so many other people out there that are starting to drink. I mean, just when I've been doing this pursuit road trip tour and going places even though i'll be standing there i'll be signing bottles and talking to some people and some people come in and go y'all y'all get smoke wagon y'all just get that in and still i mean hats off and you know amazing success but i look at it and it's like people are gravitating and they're still going through and still wanting to find those 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 bottles even though it's a lot of the same stuff in a different packaging uh not to say that aaron's not doing any great blending over there i'm just saying that there's there's going to probably be some some minute differences between it as well. I'll I'll throw a hot take out there, and I kind of want to see what you all think of this as well. Is that I feel that MGP will end up struggling in a few years because right now we see that everybody that's starting a brand or gets going or anything like that, a lot of it's using MGP. 
A lot of them are craft distillers that are utilizing MB MGP until their stuff comes of age, right? So that's one thing that you can see. Ross and Squib. Excuse sorry, me. Ross sorry, Ross and Squib. Ross and Squib. I appreciate you fixing my my speech there. the The second part is that Ross and Squib was really the only game in town if you wanted to start a brand. So let's fast forward here in the next two to three years when we know there's going to be a ton of Kentucky barrels that come on the market. And this is going to be from places like Green River, like Bartstown Bar Room Company, like Wilderness Trail, all these places that have been doing. And you put those three together and they're probably doubling the capacity of what you would get out of Ross and Squibb. So you're going to start seeing this shift where a lot of the source stuff, it all starts saying Kentucky straight bourbon on it now. And it's not going to be, and who knows, it might shift the, con the, the consumer mindset where you don't want to get something that doesn't say Kentucky straight bourbon on it only because now there's so much more available to it. There's another game in town. So I would be interested to kind of see if that stigma still stays true where people only want to buy, you know, something that has Kentucky in it. Well, I think that they're going to struggle to, to keep selling the, the existing stocks that they do have, but kind of interested, interested to hear what you all think. I love this take. Um, <laughs> Only, only because I, I, I don't know that it's gonna happen. Because I mean, they make Squib makes some fantastic whiskey, and I think people accept it and seek after it. And it's, it's definitely, it's not up there with Kentucky, but I, I still think they're they're gonna do just fine, and they're gonna have Luxrow, you know, pumping out some stuff for them there that will also keep it relevant in uh whiskey fans minds as well but um well yeah because they just had the the luxro rye the ezra yeah. rye that they just released but he didn't know that's not a kentucky rye that's all seven year mgp yep and we knew that wasn't gonna take long but uh yeah i i, I bardstown bourbon company our oldest barrels there are about to turn six and they are incredible like squib juice is good but at five and six, it's still this like very spice forward nutmeg, like very spice heavy. I mean, you might get some rarity in there, but not for the most part. It's still just very like big spice bomb. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to jump in and just say I, I second that because I've I've had them recently. So, <laughs> <laughs> but and not just Barstown's Wilderness Trail stuff at five and six is starting to come out, and it's freaking incredible. And Green River stuff is good at four and five years. And I do think that people are going to be like, okay, we're back to Kentucky. I think Bardstown Bourbon Company, when they release their origin series, will be a game changer in the source, the perception of source whiskey brands. I just think the quality is going to be on par or not, if not better than Ross and Squibb. And it's really going to make people turn their heads. And I think people will start to chase after those. Bartstown and Wilderness Trail brands versus the other. But I could be wrong. Kenny, if you can do it, you need to go back to our episode about the the acquisition of Lux Row and what MGP was going after with that and what IJW has in the warehouse and all of this stuff from Bardstown that's going to be coming out. And they, they want to have Kentucky on the damn label and they can't have it. And I think that that just echoes what Ryan is is saying there. And I, I totally agree. It's it's better to have Kentucky on the label and they know it and the consumers want it. Yeah, they're probably just getting out ahead of it before the time comes. 
this is definitely I, I there will still be a need for it and it's that need will be rtds <laughs> I, i'll oh, disagree man. with that a, a, a bit <laughs> yeah no i mean i think you know what we all kind of said was they are making great stuff uh but even if you look on the wholesale barrel market indiana bourbon still sells at a not i won't say a, a significant discount but it, it is it's less you know if, if four-year-old kentucky bourbon's going for four grand four-year-old mgp is going for call it 3500 a barrel that is and so uh, you know i still think there's going to be plenty of places other than rtds for that whiskey to go i think we'll see more and more products pop up and brands get built on those on those barrels which is great like it does add something different and I think kind of the bigger overall question we're really asking is, you know, when does when does supply catch up with this crazy demand we're seeing? So the wilderness trails of the world, the Bardstown bourbons, the green rivers, the when does all that stock that's been aging and coming online, you, you know, we got two or three more big distilleries coming in, in 2023, you, you know, when does that catch up with demand where, if, if Kentucky bourbon is selling for a premium, you just go to one of these other companies and you don't even have to worry about going to MGP. I still think we're a long way out. And I still think Ross and Squibb, or I keep saying MGP, uh, is making great bourbon. And, and I think we'll keep seeing it on a lot of labels. So I'll kind of disagree with what some are saying because I think there's still a spot for it on the shelf. Yeah, and I yeah. might also question a little bit too if, yeah, I think it was, was it, old louisville who and this is maybe the opposite effect where the name of the of the the brand is old louisville but then it was sourced from mgp but you know let's say you're a producer that's located in in maine and you source kentucky bourbon now you're going to put kentucky bourbon on the label and but you're kind of like yeah but i'm in i'm in maine and i'm trying to tell that story too you know i don't know that you've got a little conflicting issue there where you know what is the message that where did they want to kind of prominently show that or are they going to focus on maybe their own story a little bit and the fact that it is kentucky bourbon isn't as important you know in that brand messaging and then take that another layer too with you know finishing and other things that are going to happen you know depending what the focus is i do think seeing like if you just see a 14 year old and it says kentucky bourbon immediately it's got your attention you know there's a lot of value there um but i think there's a lot of room on the outside of that too and i think there's only so much you can do if you don't if you aren't really located in kentucky and don't have that you know kind of to your story too Yep. Very good. Um, I do. I would, I want to make one comment that cause Blake was talking about supply and demand and you know, I was, cause I've, I'm cons- obviously as with me and Kenny being in this game, we're always concerned with that when you're laying down thousands of barrels a year and going and dead up to your eyeballs. Um, but one encouraging thing, uh, was th- this Campari deal, them purchasing wilderness trail, I think is a huge deal for still how bourbon is going to grow. It was the first company that already has, you know, a significant international presence say we're going to invest in Kentucky bourbon. And I think the goal and, you know, Shane sent Kenny that email. The goal is not, I mean, to grow it domestically, but I think it's the first time they're a company's positioning. It's saying we are going global with this. We haven't really had a brand here. You know, like we've tried to pin down heaven Hill. We try to pin down, others to be like where's all this demand come from they keep saying it's domestic 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 and they were the the campari purchase really like solidified for me that 
bourbon is going to grow and go international, which it is still lacking very much so right now. Prestige worldwide. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Well, I like that take too. But let's go ahead and let's let's round this out with one last topic. As we'd kind of mentioned, this is our beginning of the holiday episodes. This is our Thanksgiving episode. And as I mentioned before, you know, on Thanksgiving Day, it's gonna happen. Your social feed is gonna be full of wild turkey screenshots and, and photos and everything like that. And if you are doing that, make sure you tag Rare Bird 101 because it's his day where he will reshare it on his story. And so you get to be somewhat insta-famous for eight seconds. But Nick had a question here that says, what should you bring to your Thanksgiving Day get-togethers? So Nick, since you had this one and the, the thought process behind it, I'll let you go first. Oh, see, that was a question for y'all. That's that's the well, that's easy know, for me because I, I don't bring anything. I just show up. I'm <laughs> I'm that worst. You're guest the consumer. Because, oh yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things that we have we have never offered to host Thanksgiving at our house, and we go everywhere else. That way, it's it's kind of like you know you get the sign up sheets for stuff at your kid's school, and like who's bringing stuff to the potluck, and it's like oh I'll bring the two liters of soda. Like that's that's what I bring because that are the paper plates. I'm not. I'm not making shit for there's, it. There's givers and takers in this world. We know where <laughs> Kenny's at. Uh, I mean, uh, you got to bring... Uh, I'll go first. I mean, there's only a few people in my family that appreciate bourbon. And for those, I'm going to bring probably a cool Russell's pick or a Dusty Turkey for sure. I mean, I, we just... Kenny and I just acquired a 1989 liter of 8-year-old wild turkey 101 and that shit's incredible and so kenny maybe you know you bring the two liters i guess i'll share uh you know that that dusty turkey with you if you come over to my thanksgiving are you putting it on a on a smoker the Your dusty turkey, turkey? <laughs> no the actual turkey <laughs> oh always you know that yeah i figured that's the only way to have a turkey that or deep fried deep fried's pretty good too i know well i, I don't plan on bringing anything but actually we do bring something pretty much every year we usually bring uh, derby pie. That's it's usually what we bring. That's that's what our our family's responsible for. Store what I say? Yeah, oh yeah, store bought derby pie. That that's about as easy it gets for me. I've done a few turkeys in the egg and the deep fryer in my day, but this year I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of take a take another year off. I'll go. Okay, I wasn't yeah, sure. You gotta, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, am I? Still I saw you on here? mute. You gotta go. Yeah, yeah. I'll go. Um, so I think you gotta bring a mix. You know, you gotta bring. For the Instagrams, you got to bring a wild turkey bottle. Something dusty is always good. But, you, you know, I don't know if everybody's family is like mine, but you, you want a bottle that you don't care if it just gets crushed. And then you may want to save something back for the people in the family that actually know something about bourbon. So um, you can do all that under the wild turkey brand, which is an amazing thing. But, yeah, usually, you know, just 101, just nice uh, one and a half liter of 101 and you throw that out there and see who who bites on it. And then, you know, maybe you have that dusty bottle sitting in, in a bag somewhere else in a back bedroom. But I, I, this is going to be, a, a you know, my hot take of the night. Uh, I typically only drink red wine, I feel like, at Thanksgiving dinner. So um, I'm not huge with bourbon and food. But afterwards, you know, you start diving into that. So, yeah, but you got to have a mix. They're, they're, bourbon Pursuit makes a great wine tote that you can carry bottles in and uh i bring that everywhere it's constant advertising it's what we need is it okay to, if you bring wild turkey honey or long branch is that acceptable 
in that no. family. <laughs> Extra mesquite. Well, I was gonna say Long Branch is don't hate on Long Branch. That's uh, I'm, I'm still a fan. Still a fan there. All right, so I I agree with Blake that you gotta you, you gotta adjust for what the family starts expecting a little bit. So it's gone up in proof. It's gone up in quality. I've been I've I've been the one who's had to bring bourbon for probably now ten years. I get looked at. Uh, as the the source for whoever is bringing bourbon. So with all respect to Jennings, yeah, there'll be a, a bottle of Russell's Reserve coming along. But the one that I that I pulled, and to get back to Kenny's comment a second ago about marketing, ended up with a, uh, a rare character um, pursuit. So now that the tastes have improved of the family, I got to go a little higher proof. I got to go a little more unique. You know, how many years in a row can you bring a, a turkey or even a dusty turkey or Russell's private selection? You know, still bring those, but you got to go off character a little bit. Um, I, can I say that with rare character? But, um, <laughs> you know, bring bring something different. So you got to introduce the family to something new and expand their bourbon horizon. So that's what I'm going to be doing this Thanksgiving. Like a bottle of Pursuit United. That sounds perfect to me. Perfect. <laughs> and I think, you know, to your point, Ryan, uh, and, you know, if, if I'm at my house, we host probably every other year. Everything's here. I try to introduce people to as many things as I can. But one thing I do kind of forget about a lot that I've reminded myself of recently is that, like, many people who don't drink bourbon, and I have found those, like, Wild Turkey American Honey, that is a good example. I got my sister a bottle because she never drinks bourbon. And now her and my mom are kind of like, oh, yeah, we kind of we were kind of into that. So that was a holiday like probably two or three years ago. And now I notice they're actually buying bottles of it. You know, whereas my brother-in-law in this case, he's now trying a lot of different things. So I'm, you know, we're we're expanding range in that case, you know. So that's what I tend to forget is that person that, you know, isn't going to care about the high proof stuff or, you know, the real exotic stuff. And it's just somebody that's like, all right, just tell me a little bit about what bourbon is and then give me something that's not going to just kill my palate. Then of course you just, you go up from there. I mean, that is the service that we all have grown to know and expect now is that since we are the bourbon people in our family, you must bring at least six or 17 bottles with you so they, they can explore everything and, then you have to look at your uncle as he opens a big bottle and he starts putting ice and mixes it with Coke or something like that. You're like, well, say la vie to that one. I've learned that mistake. I'll say these ones you can mix. This one you can drink with water and ice, but that's it. <laughs> if you're going to mix, use these ones. Cause I've had the, the relatives definitely take like a 17 year old Willet, pour it in and diet Coke on top. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> don't want to be a dick, but I'm going to be a dick. <laughs> but you just die a little bit when that yeah. happens. It's like, oh, I like Blake's hide it in the other room, like put it in like a, a nondiscreet bag, just like hide it under the coats in the bedroom. That, that, that's what you got to do. Sneak people in, you know, <laughs> smart move, smart move. Let's go ahead. That's all that'll round it out. So fellas, another great show in the books. Number 74 will be back next time with a quarter of a century, three quarters of a century. So I think we what we learned tonight is don't invite Kenny to your Thanksgiving. It's true. <laughs> well, I mean, you can show up empty handed, eat all your yeah. food, drink all your drinks. Yeah, and I'll probably talk about your bad on the podcast. <laughs> I'll, I'll critique if you're like, it's still a little dry. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you probably should have brined your turkey, maybe just a few more hours longer.
He's going to bring yeah. you that at nothing in RTDs. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm good for, man. From MGP, Ross and I. That's, right. That's right. Yes. All right. Like I said, let's go ahead and close it out. So we'll go back in the same exact order. Blake, you go first. Yeah. Once again, Blake from Bourboner and Sealbox. Always fun to be here. Great questions tonight. Uh, you know, thank you, Nick, for throwing those out there for us. And Kenny and Ryan, thanks for uh, doing the show and, and keeping it going. Looking forward to 75. What was the last article you wrote for Bourboner? Uh, that's a good question that, uh, uh, you know, we're probably two and a half years out now, nah, maybe not that much. It's uh, two years. I don't know. But. I think I'm, I'm, I'm starting to drop the bourboner now when I introduce you to people and it's just Blake from Sealbox. <laughs> bourboner is still getting the hits you, though. Still getting the hits though. Yeah. There we go. Hits, hits. All that evergreen content, you know, the poor man's pappy paid off in the end. Who knew? <laughs> I think his last <laughs> article was something about, uh, hunting for Blanton's. Yeah, <laughs> that was Blanton's was on the shelf back then. Blanton, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, actually a secret link on Sealbox. You just don't know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny, that's hilarious. All right, Brian. All right, thanks again, guys. Happy to be on number seventy-four. Looking forward to seventy-five. Uh, Brian with sipping corn, bourbon justice. Nick, thanks for the questions, and Kenny and Ryan, thanks for running the show. So we're here for it, man. And Nick, close us out. Yes, uh, Nick from Breaking Bourbon here. Uh, great chat always. I love the the YouTube chat too. I mean, just awesome comments through these. But uh, great seeing y'all. Uh, find us on all the socials at Breaking Bourbon. And uh, cheers. Looking forward to the next one. For sure. Well, once again, thank you all for coming on. Have a fantastic Thanksgiving if we don't talk to you before then. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next time for Community Roundtable number 75. Cheers. Cheers.